Hey everyone, my name is Tabitha Davis. I'm a civil engineer, a volunteer with the nonprofit Engineers Without Borders, and the host of this podcast. Here's what you can look forward to today on Calculated Change. How do we use engineering and design to tackle social issues? And how do we use engineering and design to tackle health issues? And how can we just use those technical skills and those tools to ultimately make the world a better place to live in. You will hear a story from my friend, Rebecca Alcock, about how a decision she made in the back of a pickup truck in rural Guatemala led her to the intersection of global health and engineering, an area of work that became essential to our response to the global pandemic. Becca and I met our freshman year at the University of Wisconsin-Madison We both spent our four years of undergrad volunteering with Engineers Without Borders. After we graduated, Becca convinced me to join her for three months in Guatemala interning with Engineers Without Borders. We traveled from community to community working on nearly a dozen water and bridge infrastructure projects. We were inspired by countless people's displays of generosity and perseverance. At the end of our summer, we sat in the back of a pickup truck talking about what our plans were going to be for the future. And it was there in Guatemala that Becca made a decision that would place her where she is today. It was the last week for me in Guatemala and we were having a despedida. And then on the way home, we were riding back to our apartment in Hueva in the back of a pickup truck. And our EWB friends from Kansas State were with us and we were just talking kind of about what's next in general for everyone since we were all kind of wrapping up the summer and and heading back to the U.S. and I felt so at peace in that moment like it sounds weird to say (laughs) out loud. It was on that car ride home that I finally felt confident in what I should do next and that was to go to grad school. That decision guided Becca through her past two years of graduate school where she would find opportunities for integrated global health and engineering, took a trip to Kenya, got a job at the UW Makerspace, and ultimately made connections that would place her at the center of UW's COVID response. When I started my master's, I really set out to bring global health engineering because of my BME background to the engineering campus because I felt like that was just, that was really missing. All of the people I knew, especially in BME, wanted to be involved in this type of work, had to do it through EWB, which was great. And I'm incredibly grateful for EWB, all of those experiences, but that was very much civil engineering. And I never really got to apply my biomedical engineering skills. And I really wanted to. EWB was a student org thing on the side, and though I dedicated a lot of time to it and made it more than just this side thing, it never was part of like my core academic experience. So I started this thing called the Global Innovation Initiative on campus, and my friend Kayla, when she got back from living in India, jumped on board and helped out, and we started setting up seminar series to highlight people doing this work on campus. We tried to make students know about resources and different opportunities like engineering world health. And 
part of my work at the makerspace, my boss, Lennon Rogers, was awesome. And he was the first person to be like, well, what do you want to do when you're done with school? And I had just gotten back from Guatemala and was talking about doing that type of work, but in biomedical engineering. And because of those conversations with Lennon and then starting the Global Innovation Initiative and getting in a master's lab where my advisor was willing to let me kind of apply our our intense scientific research to a global health setting in India. My boss introduced me to Leslie Saker, who is a professor in the design studies program on campus. And she leads a study abroad program every summer to Kenya. Her whole study abroad program is about using design to empower women. I was fortunate to be asked to be the TA for that study abroad class. After my first year of my master's, I spent that month of half of May and half of June um, in Kenya in three different locations starting in Nairobi to be the teaching assistant for that for that course. And we got to talk all about human-centered design and that process and how all of these external factors should be informing our design decisions. During my time in Kenya, I was also participating in this human-centered design process. And over the course of those few weeks when we were there, I also found projects through talking with the community members and especially the women about what could we do or what could we design that would make your life easier. And when I came back, I created a FIG, which is a first-year interest group, in this global innovation theme. And it was housed at the Makerspace, again, with the support of my boss there. And so we led this cohort of freshmen through the design process, and I taught their lab section for Introduction to Design. And we did these projects with our clients being the communities in Kenya. But the really cool thing was that the previous making-focused fig that was offered, there were less than five women engineers in the whole class. But when I taught this fig on global innovation under this theme, 13 of my 17 students were women. Becca found countless opportunities in her master's program to pursue and promote global health-centered engineering. She started a seminar series, TA'd a trip to Kenya, she was encouraged by her boss at the makerspace, Lennon Rogers, and you should remember his name because he comes into this story again. She also was able to promote women in STEM. And one week prior to the pandemic hitting the United States, Becca helped host a women in STEM conference at the UW makerspace. We presented at that conference not knowing that just one short week later, our state our nation and our world would shut down from this global pandemic. A couple of weeks after the shutdown in the United States, it became clear that a lot of things were being canceled, including likely um, your graduation from your master's program, which you had spent two years on, and also your intentions for the summer. Um, what were your plans for this summer at the beginning of the spring before COVID hit? Yeah, so I had applied to a scholarship for graduate students to do a research transfer in India. So I was supposed to be 
finishing up the applied portion of my master's research at a hospital in Volor, which is in South Central India. And I was going to be living there for three months before coming back and starting my PhD. I knew Becca had really been looking forward to this trip to India this summer and the research that she was doing. And so I asked her how she felt about her whole plans being put on hold for the summer because of the pandemic. And her response reminded me of one of the many reasons why I had her on this show. Listen to her wisdom in the midst of this vastly changing time that we're all in. You, you can't do anything about those plans changing, but you can change what you do tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. So even though I wish I could be in India this summer, I wish I could have been. Um, I still got to do really meaningful work and, and that's why I'm here. Though Becca didn't go to India this summer, she did find meaningful work here in Madison responding to the very same pandemic that changed her plans. The rest of this episode is going to dive into Becca's journey responding to COVID-19, starting with her work at the UW-Madison Makerspace. In mid-March, we were all back home for spring break. The pandemic was, it was really just starting to pick up in the U.S., and we had just found out that students weren't going to be returning back to campus after spring break, at least for two weeks at that point. At that same time, UW Health was in contact with my boss, Lennon, at the Makerspace to develop PPE locally for the hospital because the global supply chains had broken at that point already, and they just couldn't get their hands on the equipment they needed. And at the time, what they really were looking for was these medical face shields. And my boss got to work with the shop manager at the Makerspace, Carl Williamson, and they started designing an open source face shield. And they partnered with Delve, the design consulting firm in town, and Midwest Prototyping to rapidly design, prototype, and get the face shield tested with users. And then Midwest Prototyping actually picked it up and started manufacturing it at scale. And the design was released online and quickly it it gained a lot of attention because everybody was looking for shields. It was very simple. It was designed to be easily manufactured and easily scaled. It was only three parts. And so we started getting all of these requests at the makerspace. Either they were asking, how can we get our hands on some of these shields or how can I start producing these shields? And we had all of these requests coming in and I was tasked with kind of making the match between those organizations. How can I get shields to this hospital in California or how can I get shields to this hospital in Florida or New York or wherever it was? And so I started doing that matchmaking by hand and I quickly realized that that wasn't going to last long. It was just growing way too fast and I couldn't keep up I think it's important to note that this was happening at a time where there was a large shortage of PPE in hospitals across the United States. Photos went viral of doctors and nurses and other medical staff using garbage bags and reusing masks, and there was a general urgency to connect hospitals with resources. Becca needed a more efficient way to make these pairings, which led to a partnership 
with Dr. Boudelier. This is another name you're going to need to remember, but for now, listen to how Dr. Boudelier and Becca paired up to make this process more efficient. I reached out to my professor for health systems engineering and said, here's the dilemma. We have all of these requests coming in and all of these manufacturers saying they can produce shields. I need some sort of automated algorithm to do this matchmaking by a software platform rather than by hand. And so that professor, Justin Boudelier, came on board and also contacted his friend at UCLA, Oyan Sadiq. And us three got to work on developing this platform and it ended up being called ShieldNet. And it just takes all of that information and optimizes the matches. It would automatically output the CSV with all of the matches and also auto-generate these emails to send out to the, the two organizations connecting them so that they could get that order placed. And that kept me really busy for a really long time and also ended up getting a lot of attention. We were able to match millions of shields in our system to basically every state throughout the U.S. and I think even up to 15 countries internationally. Becca has this theory called the circle theory. It's essentially the idea that everything in life comes full circle, and you're about to hear that theory proved a couple of times in the rest of this story. As Becca mentioned, the makerspace was able to pair millions of shields to hospitals across the United States and the world, and that did gain a lot of attention. One of the groups that saw the potential in this model was Engineers Without Borders. Some members of Engineers Without Borders reached out to Becca's boss, Lennon Rogers, at the Makerspace, and he was able to connect Becca with her old acquaintances in Engineers Without Borders. How did you get involved then from this Makerspace project to Engineers Without Borders again? Because that was kind of spontaneous. Yeah, yeah, it was. So Jess there, she is a longtime EWB volunteer, and she went to Marquette University and she just graduated with her master's in May and is now working at Boston Scientific. She's been on a mission for a long time to get EWB to start doing more health related projects. And so when the pandemic hit, she had been talking to Mike Paddock, the chief engineer for EWB about what EWB could do to respond. And so Mike actually reached out to my boss at the Makerspace and said, hey, we're looking to start up some sort of response program in Guatemala um, to prepare them for the pandemic, because at that time, um, transmission was, was much further delayed in the low and middle income countries. And so they were just going to proactively start producing PPE locally. And Lennon, my boss, was like, hey, here's Rebecca. She's really interested in global initiatives and work and she's been working on some of these response efforts locally and he connected me to Mike which was funny because I was like oh hey Mike <laughs> but I talked to Mike about what we were doing at the makerspace and how we were able to help manufacturers start producing the face shield and, and scale and that's kind of when I jumped on board of the COVID response team for EWB in Guatemala. Throughout the summer, Becca's work in the COVID-19 response grew and grew. She started out as a volunteer and is now formally working under the university in collaboration with Engineers Without Borders 
and the United Nations Development Program to continue her work in responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. Within this official position at the university, we have now a working agreement with the United Nations Development Program to support the production of local PPE in a handful of their country offices. That also is partnering still with Engineers Without Borders and some other local NGOs on the ground. But what we do is when a country office comes to the headquarters of the UNDP Crisis Bureau, ask for assistance in responding to COVID-19, we let them know about this program that we have in setting up local production. And there's this whole roadmap of what that looks like from needs finding to assessing the supply of products and the supply chain that's there locally and all the way through prototyping and testing the products and then manufacturing them at some sort of scale. So we have convened at UW a working group of experts from all across campus who are able to provide very specific technical assistance on things that help us achieve those goals. And the UNDP's mandate is really focus on livelihoods. So the other piece of this is that outside of making PPE to protect people's lives, the healthcare workers that we're trying to serve, it's also to protect the livelihoods of the communities that those healthcare workers are serving. So it's making sure that people have sustainable and decent work and that they can get food on their table and provide for their families. And I think using local production of PPE as a means to achieve that is a really great way to, it's a, it's a really comprehensive approach to addressing coronavirus because outside of the obvious public health crisis that we're facing, loss of jobs and a deeply hurt economy is also a public health crisis. If people can't make a living and supply to nourish their families, to have food on their table, to do all of those things. That's also a public health crisis. So I think working with UNDP has kind of really given us that vision and that goal. And we try to stay focused on that. And whatever the needs are of the country office, we do what we can to respond directly to those needs. Remember Dr. Boudelier who helped Becca develop ShieldNet? Well, he's now her PhD advisor. Becca is currently entering the first year of her doctorate program, and she told me why she picked industrial and systems engineering and how that ties into her work from this past summer. Systems level changes and challenges and problems felt too big. I didn't know how to approach them, but I kept encountering them in our work in Guatemala and the work in Kenya. It was systems level stuff, just like now we're seeing it, it's systems level stuff that is really the root for all of these subsequent problems. And through Dr. Boudelier's class and his teaching, I started to feel empowered that I actually could address these systems level challenges. And you could use what we find in ISYE and operations research to inform policy or to redesign the whole healthcare system 
I felt called to work on these larger problems. Over the summer then, I worked really closely with Dr. Boudelier to, you know, develop ShieldNet and keep ShieldNet running and address the pandemic in the way that we could as operations researchers. And now I'll be going into my PhD actually working in Dr. Boudelier's lab. It ended up being a really amazing fit. You have this empathetic lens for the world and you see the problems that people are facing, but you see them with potential of how they can be better and you act on it. And I respect that and it inspires me so much. From those experiences, which have become a part of your life, what have you learned or are there any other takeaways, final lessons, advice that you want to share? Responding to COVID in general has really put a spotlight on the good in people. There are maker groups, people in their garage, teenagers in their bedrooms, all the way up to huge entities like the UN responding to the pandemic. And for those people who are doing this on a volunteer scale, they showed up like like never before because we were all united against a common enemy. That spirit of global innovation and that spirit of my neighbor's health is my own, my neighbor's wellness is my own, that really shined brightly, I think, amidst all of this darkness these past six months. And I really hope that carries forward. Thanks for listening to Calculated Change. We hope this episode inspired you to not only see that positive change is possible, but to know that you have a role in that positive change. If you like this episode, feel free to follow us on our socials at Calculated Change, email us at calculatedchange at gmail.com, or subscribe for more episodes. Thanks everyone. See you next time.